What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Cat Brooks. Redevelopment is afoot in East Oakland. The cranes are marching from downtown to where the last really large segment of black folks, low-income black folks, live in Oakland. Uh, Both Mills College and Eastmont Mall are being targeted for market-rate housing and retail projects. We're joined this morning by Leah Simon-Weisberg, legal director of the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, ACE Action. ACE is a grassroots member-led statewide community org, working with more than 15,000 members across California. Hey, Leah, welcome to the news show. Good morning. Great to be here. Really, really glad to have you. All right, Leah, let's talk bigger picture. Both Mills and Eastmont are going through a rezoning process. What does that mean exactly? And what what is the type of of zoning um, permit that's that's being pushed through? Well, I think that the fact that you were, you know, kind of titling this redevelopment is really important. And I think that you know, we, you know, many of us who are, you know, struggling to make sure that our community members have housing that they can afford, that is safe, um, and to stop displacement, we all have studied, right, the the attempts in the 40s, well, really, I mean, the last 200 years of, um, you know, development in, in the, the California that we, we all, many of us go home, um, you know, and that we made huge mistakes in the, the 50s, and I think that it's, what I, you know, so much of what we are seeing right now is exactly what happened um, in the 40s and 50s. And I think that the main piece here is that we have to demand that the community is at the center of making these decisions. I think that the what, you know, recently we we all heard about the city rezoning these two huge lots of um, property. And I think it's, it, you know, what this is about is these, the, the requirement of doing housing elements. And that it is a process that is so important, and yet so few people have been able to really engage in it. And that in many ways what's happening is you've got very frantic city staff. And this is happening across the state. Frantic city staff being told that they have to identify X number of properties that can be rezoned to essentially absorb the, you know, the large requirements of affordable housing that are needed in our state. And you're seeing situations like this where the community for the first time is finding out that people have these plans behind closed doors. Um, And I think particularly just like kind of zooming in on the mill situation, um, you know, here is a, you know, a really important institution in our community where so many of our leaders, particularly women of color who are leading our communities, um, you know, got their start there you know, academically, and we're really able to flourish in so many ways and behind closed doors. And I think this really, to me, shows the difference between what a mayor, um, a, a Taylor mayor would be and a Shangtao mayor would be. One demanded that there should be more community transparency and participation and really questioning this whole transaction that was done in secret versus somebody who thought, oh, yeah, I was behind those closed doors, and I think it's all hunky-dory. Um, just going back to the housing element, we are getting to a place where the state is controlling more and more. And when I say the state, I don't mean government generally. I mean the state of California is taking away local power, except that we can 
We have enormous power over our general plan and specifically our housing elements, but it's being done in a way that we have very little access. And so this to me is a real call to arms of like, we really need to make sure that we're engaging in this process. And that the fact that they reared, re, they, they really sloppily did the rezoning. Let, let's put it that way. I'll pause there. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the article that um, that was in the Oakland Post about all of this, and apparently, like this was discovered. Um, it was submitted, but it was buried in a draft plan for the future for future housing in Oakland, submitted to City Council by Mayor Libby Schaaf's administration. Um, and it's a map that would allow for higher density real estate development, including condominiums and retail. Um, I don't want to skip over because it's sort of a little bit of inside baseball because you mentioned Lauren Taylor being inside of those rooms, which is also talked about in this article in the Oakland Post. And his direct quote is that he he doesn't mind uh, rezoning a portion of the strategy. And I'm guessing, like I said, Mayor Libby Schaaf's office uh, submitted it. So there's some some partnering there um, going on. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are, you know, the reason that, you know, his campaign is getting, you know, so much money from not only developers, coal, it's all these people that well, don't do well when there's a democratic process, right? Because the community, because the people of Oakland don't want coal ravaging our communities, don't want redevelopment that just displaces all of our community members. But they can win in behind closed doors. And so that's why we're seeing so much money. And, and you have to count the money because, you know, they, there is a three-part plan for that campaign. You know, they ran Ignacio. They ran um, Reed. So that they're, you know, all to get to Lauren. So any money going to any of those campaigns. And so you can really see who thinks it's going to be a great, a great place um, Wednesday morning. And that's developers. And it's, it's, it's for-profit developers. And so I think that it's, it's really important to see that the housing element is the, t- the opportunity we have to make sure that, that we have a city we want, but sta- we don't have adequate staffing put on this. And this is, again, unfortunately, across the state where we've got staff and consultants who are having to write these 800 page um, documents. And we're seeing like grocery stores. And I don't know if folks saw that Piedmont rezoned their city hall. For housing, because they're just trying to check boxes, they're not using the process the way it was intended, or at least the way many of us hoped it would be intended. In that, you really have to step back about your community and say, "How do we make sure that everybody in our community has housing that they can thrive in?" And instead, they just randomly looked at a list of what was zoned, what isn't zoned right now for multifamily housing, and what can we throw. Um, can we, you know, throw a change of zone and then suddenly we'll be in compliance. And Leah, one more question for you, and then we're going to bring in uh, Shay Franco Clausen, who is a former Mills College student and plaintiff in a lawsuit that the students filed against the school. Um, but what what could housing that actually served East Oakland and our residents that can't afford, which is so many of us, uh, market rate housing, condominiums, et cetera. What, what could a plan that served the people actually look like? Well, I think that, you know, one thing that's really important is having um, very targeted um, development and targeted meaning overlays that say we only do um, a certain kind of affordable housing 
in certain places and you're paying attention. So, for example, there are um, tools that you can use that show where if you build more highly dense, right, not even looking at affordability, but just higher density, that will lead to, um, to displacement. And what's found is if you build more densely in wealthier neighborhoods, so Rockridge, for example, it won't lead to displacement. If you build more densely, particularly majority, um, you know, unregulated, at what they, what people like to call market rate, um, you're, it's going to lead to displacement because it, it jacks up the, the rents everywhere around. It puts enormous pressure and it, it increases the value of the land, right? Which is what we're all really struggling with is that there's just this huge increase in the value of land because people are finding ways to make money off of it. And these people are not usually community members and they're not living here. So going back to it's got to be housing where the motive here is not to just be making money and speculating. And so that means that the city needs to be very careful and needs to be very controlled and very targeted. And it needs to include community members and it needs to include land trusts and affordable housing providers that are really connected to the community, um, not just ones that essentially are fake um, nonprofit. You know, we have a, a rise in companies from all over the country, uh, New Jersey, and um, there's one out of North Carolina that have come swooping into the Bay Area to buy up properties. Blackstone is doing this in San Diego. So again, it's it's about community um, participation, focusing our community organizations. And when they they really should have known exactly what they were doing and is that going to create what that local community um, needs? And they didn't ask that question because they were just rushing through this process. All right, Leah, feel free to, to stay on the line uh, if you'd like. Uh, I want to bring into the conversation Shay franco Clausen. Uh, former Mills College student, a plaintiff in a lawsuit that the students filed against the school. And she was also voted alumni of the year. Good morning, Shay. Good morning. Um, Shay, your response, I mean, I know this has been just such an emotional roller coaster for, for Mills students, you know, alumni. Uh, you know, we had you and several others on the show last, well, on Upfront when I was there uh, last year. Your your response to the idea that at least a portion of the campus is likely to soon be filled with market rate housing, condominiums, high-end retail, etc. I, I mean, this is... You know, it sadly is the a lot of the alumni who supported the students that were being impacted by this illegal merger in the first place. It doesn't surprise me, but it was a hidden thing that someone sent to me that I sent to our whole crew saying, of course, this was this this was the segue into what they were trying to do. Do this merger, give to North, you know, Northeastern, then rezone the place. Well, what it does is we don't need that type of traffic because if these City council members were really invested in affordable housing and housing for all, and even local businesses. You can look around his district and see how many businesses haven't been revitalized, who didn't receive support post-COVID or during COVID. I mean, there is so much space around that community that could have been developed, but targeting a women's college and changing it so quickly to redevelop, it seems very intentional, these backdoor deals to sort of build their own um, 
capacity and support from developers and outside money that harms our community that is not invested, it feels to me that it was very intentional and it shows the lack of leadership and city council that supports such a, such a thing. And that doesn't include the impact it had to over 900 women, predominantly queer and women of color and black women like myself, who not only lost their um, education process, like I don't get to finish, I got my degree, but I don't get my master's, which was the contract that I had with Mills. But then to displace the students that are on campus now and you're gonna build new housing and retail is a slap in the face. Yeah, I actually remember dropping off a black woman who was a single mom and was attending Mills. And part of the only reason she could do that was because there was housing on campus that she could actually afford. Shay, you mentioned illegal merger uh, uh, with Northeastern University, which is also the basis for lawsuit. Can you just explain what you mean by that and, and why there's demands for, for a state and federal investigation into the merger in the first place? Well, yeah, I mean, well, mergers usually take a couple of years to happen. We all know this. We've seen lots of other mergers. And I think um, the person who was speaking before was very dead on. There was no community impact. There was no community announcement, nor was there even communication to students about the merger. None of us, we all found out, staff, students, all at the same time, while we were in class, that this was happening. And so the illegal merger was that the president who has, you know, ran away now, um, she was dishonest about the financial situation that the school was in, considering the previous president had raised so much money to graduate women from Mills College. She lied. They went through the court process. We lost because they didn't provide records, which then prompted us to do a class action because, I mean, Mills does graduate strong, powerful, badass women. To think that we were going to sit down and not fight this was their mistake. And the whole idea behind that is this merger was not consistent with how the way they go. There was there was no communication. There was no legal precedence. And the school was not failing. There's people there that spent a lot of time investing in the endowment to make sure that we could graduate male students for future and future and future times. So when I say illegal is, this was done, obviously, as Lauren bragged in plenty of articles um, behind closed doors. And they're, now we're finding this rezoning. This has been in the works for a very long time without going through the actual due process. The process that any other place would do, there was no oversight from the government and from our state. This went through without any oversight, which is illegal. One of the other th threads that, that I've seen pop up from students that are that are still in the process of, you know, fighting back um, is the concern about anti-blackness uh, at Northeastern University, that things have come to light oh, yeah. about the experience of Northeastern uh, black students. If you want to just talk about that for a little bit, I mean, I, I, to me, everything that is happening around the rezoning is a big old act of anti-blackness. Yeah. Um, but it feels like the, sure. the experiences of black folks at Northeastern is sort of just, just compounds um, impact on black bodies. Oh, for sure. I mean, well, think about the, you know, the inception of anti-blackness in Boston, like in general. And the history of yeah. how they have harmed black people. Just, just think about the history of Boston and Northeastern that starts way on the other side of the United States across the country. It, and, and it's very corporate owned. I mean, if, I don't know if you've spent time in looking at their board of directors. 
their deans and leadership. There is no reflection of people of color that fits the, the mosaic we have here in Oakland. You know, one of the most diverse cities in California. To then bring in a school that already has this reputation that's very anti-black, very anti, you know, um, uh, queer, into a school, into a community that is all of those things, it looks like no one did their homework in addition. It was more about a corporate brag, a way to, to be able to grab what they needed to have political support um, while taking down, you know, 900 women in the process. But then in statements, we're saying that, oh, I, I, I'm from Oakland. I think Lauren said, I know what, you know, black women need. I'm like, apparently you don't when you cut up our education, especially people like me and many of the other students there who would not be able to go to college if Mills didn't have this program for working moms, you know, returning, you know, older students to have a program where you could go to two years plus one to have your bachelor's and master's. It's just not anywhere else. Then to snatch that away to a community that needs economic and upward mobility, women of color, queer women in Oakland to remove that. And then they told us that we wanted to continue to with my master's, which is in my contract with Mills, I would have to do an additional year and a half and I would have to pay an additional $50,000. Does that sound feasible to me when I had a plan to end and graduate next May? That's not my problem. And so they didn't honor any of our education paths and close many departments, many programs where students are like, sorry, we're not going to be covering that anymore. So with the housing, with the buying of the land, the whole entire process, was very anti-black, anti-people of color, anti-LGBT community, in my opinion. Leah, I want to, we, we just have a couple of more minutes. I want to uh, ask you one more question about big picture, right? So in 2018, when I was running, one of my talking points was um, who, who was mayor mattered because those cranes that were downtown would eventually be marching east. And I just from your perch, Right now, we're just talking about Mills College, not just, right? Right now, we're talking about the institution of Mills yeah. College and, and, and also Eastmont Mall, right? Which has played a, a significant role in the lives of, of East Oaklanders. But big picture, what does this suggest is on the way for East Oakland? Well, again, I mean, I, I think exactly what you're saying in terms of who is going to be mayor. Who's going to be in charge of our housing department? I mean, we have... There is no leader there right now. There's, you know, and we've frankly had no leadership for quite a while. The person who was there before um, was just trying to privatize. She had a history of privatizing. And I think that that's really the key piece here is privatization has never um, helped anyone <laughs> come out of poverty, um, get, you know, ensure equity or provide the housing that we need. And so the, the idea that somehow the solution is always to sell off um, you know, our community assets um, is, is, I think, one of the places we have to start. There's so many great creative ways to revitalize a community, and selling them off to private actors has never been a successful um, path. You know, I'm just really reminded of the, the development in the Fillmore in San Francisco that, you know, they wouldn't let people build, they wouldn't give people, well, not people, they wouldn't give black developers financing to build the, you know, the, the business district that um, people were demanding. They could only build housing. They wouldn't let the black developers do housing. 
then they finally did. And, you know, a few years ago, it, it got turned over to one of the worst private, um, you know, rental conglomerates, um, you know, in the United States. Graystar now owns, you know, the heart of what should have been an amazing Fillmore development. And we don't want to see that in Oakland. And I think that the key part here is not to privatize, that it's got to be not only community based in terms of the process and deciding what's going to happen, but it's, the control has got to stay within the community. And that means a democratic process to decide these things. But privatization is at the heart of this. If you're just trying to make money and you're not, you know, a local, you know, business, we've got to question that path. And that's the path that, you know, council member of that district has been following and and again back to your statement of who the mayor is and how they see these things and so we need somebody who's going to want a housing department that is for the people that is about building what we need and developing what we need not finding opportunities for wealthy people to get richer thank you leah shay what organizing is currently happening and how can community support you? Like what, what, what's left in terms of the fight? Oh, well, I, I, I believe um, that we're going to be going to the city council meeting to discuss this final, um, this rezoning. I mean, we're going to, we're absolutely going to be against it. I, I, I believe that having, if we don't invest to the communities around it, I mean, if you are from Oakland, you know, the communities around need support, but we're going to build new housing and retail for, you know, corporate interests on a campus in a beautiful space that used to be protected, had easements on it even. Um, that's, that is not okay. So we're going to be going to the city council meeting. Um, you can actually contact um, Joyce Yee. She has been like, oh my God, just the most amazing, amazing leader. Claudia, Kelly, I could go on and on about the women who sort of kept a student afloat while we were going through this process, but also kept us activated in the fight. Um, Joyce Yee, and um, you can contact her. I know she's going to hate me for this, but um, it's Joyce, <laughs> J-O-Y-C-E-Y-E-E-2016 at Gmail. She's like kind of been a leader, kind of wrangling us all together, but we're going to stand up at that city council meeting and make sure our voices are heard because we are Oakland. We are this community. And our voices do matter. And that's how we just keep writing back is keep showing up and making sure that we elect the right leader. This mayorship is very, really, really, really a big deal. And I, I hope that people are listening. We were already telling you who's not the best choice. So I hope that we get someone in there that's going to really consider um, people, the community, and the impact. So join us in helping us stop this rezoning. Um, make sure that we have all of our voices heard. And we need everyone, friends, allies food support, women's colleges, you know, women's education. Gosh, I feel like we're turning back the time, <laughs> to be very honest. Like, they're going to have us in red coats and a little white bonnet soon. So, um, Listen, listen, listen. I... <laughs> I just, I listen, I just finished watching Handmaid's Tale and nightmares because I was watching. I was like, this isn't like fiction. This, this could literally be around the corner. All right, y'all. I've gone over time. I want to thank you 
both Thank for this you. amazing conversation and for your work. Y'all have good days. We've been speaking to Leah Simon Weisberg, legal director of the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, ACE Action. ACE is a grassroots member-led statewide community organization working with more than 15,000 members across California, as well as Shea Franco Clausen, former Mills College student and a plaintiff in a lawsuit that the students filed against the school. She was also voted alumni of the year. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.